Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. Open Field Radio. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Where ag and life collide. Brought to you by Gowan. Robert Cicada, Cicada Farms, Legendary Farm Family, and Colorado Onions. We talk it all right now. Hello, America, and an ever-growing audience around the world, and it is really growing. This is really cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. What an episode. Man, I am so excited about this. You know what? When you throw an idea out and people start hitting you back going, you know what you need to do? You need to talk to this person or this person or that. This name came up so many times, and I'm so excited. We got to talk with Robert Cicada, Cicada Farms, Brighton, Colorado. This is ag family royalty right here. This is really cool. You're going to love it. Whether you're in farming, not in farming, I really don't care because this is just great conversation and some great stories and insights. So get ready for this. I will do my best to stay out of the way and not butt in uh, too much anyways. Sincerely, a nicer guy? I don't know if it exists. I really, really don't. On another note, I'm always looking for ways to connect with you. I really want to know what you're thinking. I really want to know that you're out there. And we've added a new connectivity feature to the Open Field Radio website. You can now connect with us via WhatsApp. In the Contact Us section at openfieldradio.com, you'll see it right there. little button that says WhatsApp. Send me a message. I want to know what you're thinking. And it'll just be a lot of fun. What do you think? So I hope you're ready for it. One of the nicest guys I've ever had the opportunity opportunity to speak with Robert Cicada on Open Field Radio. You'll hear it all in plus or minus 90 seconds. Open Field Radio. I don't know about you, but it seems like everywhere I turn right now, there's something about jobs and the abundance of jobs available out there. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career at Gowan? Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com slash careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com slash careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you, you know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? I mow my yard, you mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting open field radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody. Knock on somebody's door, call them up, send them a text, whatever, and tell them you're listening to open field radio, and by golly, they should be too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. My name is James Little. I'm right outside Idaho, Texas, and I'm listening to Open Field Radio. Open Field Radio, Season 2, Episode 8 with Robert Sakata. It starts right now. Like I do with everybody, I looked you up. <laughs> there is no shortage of information uh, about you or your family, of course, online. If I had to start somewhere, farming is in your lineage, but is it in your blood? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think that's why I ended up back here. Of course, my father started the farm in Colorado originally, and then he and my mom just had worked so hard to build it up over the years. It's just amazing. But I think when I watched how hard they had to work, you know, we, of course, like all farm families, we had one room that was the office for the farm. And, <laughs> right, you know, right. I think my crib was probably in there. And then, of course, <laughs> back then it was my dad was a chain smoker. So sure. I think it was like <laughs> all sure. the smoke and phones on the desk and everything. And 
by the time I graduated high school, I said, you know what? I think there's got to be a better way to earn a living. (laughs) 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 And so much, you know, with my parents' blessing, and maybe even some relief, uh, they said, that's great. Go off and do what you want to do. So instead of going to the land-grant school, because we've got a great land-grant college in Colorado, Colorado State University, Uh instead of going there, I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Because my interest was really in science. You know, I graduating high school, I think like a lot of us, I had some real lofty dreams. I said, I wanted to find the cure for cancer. And so um, I wanted to get into research. Went to the University of Colorado Boulder, majored in uh, molecular cellular developmental biology. And uh, it was really exciting, you know. Was in the honors chemistry program and got to do some really cool DNA research. Eventually got a job at Amgen, Applied Molecular Genetics, which is based out of Thousand Oaks, California. Um, but they were building a lab in Boulder and got to work for them. And our research was actually, you know, we were one of the first labs to actually build synthetic DNA in the lab. And so it was pretty cool times. That yeah. Is, <laughs> just a small project. Yeah, just a small project. Exactly. Right. Uh, you know, now people type it into a computer and it just spits out the DNA chain. But back then, there was a lot of chemistry involved in trying to figure out how to add each different, you know, the four different bases, how each one, how to add it to the chain. And, and of course, there was just like we do have now in, when you're sorting produce, you have a lot of shrink. And so our yields, depending on the chemical reaction, we had to measure those. So it was kind of funny. So I was using some of my farming knowledge, uh, you know, on calculating these yields on the chemistry projects that we were having. And so it, it was really a lot of fun and interesting. But then I just, I also came to the realization of how, um, competitive that research world and environment is. I mean, even within our little labs, um, the postdoc that I was working for was having me hide experimental equipment from the other lab partners so that we could publish first, you know, because it was all about that publish and perish, you know, we we needed to get the results first. Is that what changed for you in it? Was that competitiveness? Yeah, yeah. And so I saw that and I, and then too, I saw in our lab how, and it's still true today that in any type of real technical profession, you really have to kind of stove pipe your interests. You have to get so specialized. And I saw this in our lab, you know, in our lab, a lot of people didn't know or care what was going on in the rest of the world, you know, for example, farming, they didn't care where their food came from. Sure, All they sure. cared about was how to make that DNA sequence. And I said, boy. That's a trend everywhere, I think, in some ways. I yeah. think it gets very, A, competitive, but B, specialized almost to the yep. pinpoint precision of it. But at the same time, I think it's very easy to get lost in it. Exactly. And so that's why I said, wow, gosh, maybe research wasn't for me. And I didn't want to become an industrial chemist. You know, I, I really wanted to do something different. I, I So much to my parents' dismay, I then went up and taught skiing up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> There's a life change. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, we got to do these things sometimes. Yeah. But I think it was the perfect thing. I, I think the good Lord must have been watching out for me because I taught three to six-year-olds how to ski. And, you know, since I didn't have kids and, and it just that interaction, again, to see the world through their eyes was just exactly what I needed. I needed to, to realize again that, that you could make life, you know, what you wanted. It just depended, you know, how you approached it. To hear the honesty of how the kids express things. Can I share a story with you about one of my ski school classes? You bet. You bet. So... Um, I went up to teach skiing in Steamboat because it's, you know, it's a probably, I think it's about a three or four hour drive from Denver. So 
you don't you get a lot of families that, that go up there and stay there a week. And so when you're teaching kids, it's nice because you can have them all week long, which I like rather than the day trippers, which just go up on one day and then drive back to Denver. Yeah. But I remember one of my first classes, this little girl, she comes up to me and she t- tugs on the pant leg of my uniform and she looks up. She goes, teacher, teacher. She says, I think I'm in the wrong class. Well, I can still see her name tag, um, Bethany, on her ski coat. Uh-huh. I looked at my list, said Bethany on my list. But I asked her, I said, Bethany, why do you think you're in the wrong class? And very, there was this awkward moment of silence. And she timidly looked up at me and she goes, teacher, do you speak English? <laughs> And of course, as you know, I'm Japanese American. So yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, you wouldn't expect oh, no. that from somebody. But it was like, because we were talking this whole time and the whole, the whole winter was like that. You know, kids just, it just, again, their honesty and the way they viewed life, it was just so reinvigorating for me. And it was perfect timing in my life. Well, let's back up a little bit. Now, given I said there's a lot of information about you and your family online, but at the same time, not everybody knows. Can you give us the backstory to your family history in agriculture? Yeah. So my father has a wonderful story. I, I think like so many farm families, that's as I've gotten to travel and had the opportunity to visit with so many, I think everybody should have a book written about their family farm because it's really unique and amazing, you know, how each one is developed and, and the partnerships. And because like people don't realize it's families working through this and working together. And so it's amazing. But my dad was, um, his father was an immigrant from Japan. I don't know how old he was when he came to America, but he was a farmer in Japan. And, you know, it was kind of that class system back in, in Japan at that time. And he didn't, he wanted to be able to advance. So he had heard about America and the opportunities in America. And so I think he was, I think he was 18 or something when he came to America, uh, was recruited through a worker, a guest worker program to work on a rice farm. Perfect. And uh, yeah, it's, there's actually is a, a good book. I've learned so much about my dad's history from a book that was written about my dad and it's called Bob Cicada. American Farmer, and it's written by Daniel Blagan. So I promised you I wouldn't jump in too much, and I've already broken the rule. Here I am. But check this out. Get on the Google there and type in Bob Cicada, American Farmer, and watch what happens. Just more information than you can shake a stick at. But even more fun, go to the images and see what you see there. Just a ton of pictures. Really, really cool. Give you a little insight, a little background. Put a face with the name, all those kind of things. We'll try and put a link to the book on the Open Field Radio website if you want to check that out. Super cool. Enjoy. It's amazing. That's why I made the comment. I think everybody should, every, all families, farm families should have a book written about them. Because, it's so we, you know, we grew up with our families, but we really don't ask questions about the history of the family. And it's so interesting to learn about. I've learned so much about my father's history through this book and part of it being about how his grandfather came to America looking for opportunities. But then unfortunately, as we all know, uh, you know, um, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in 1941, that changed their lives. I think they were in Centerville, California farming. My dad's mom had already passed away when he was like six years old. So it was just his dad and two twin sisters that were working on the farm. And of course, President Roosevelt had uh, executive order, what was it, 9066, I think, the internment camps where mm-hmm. they set up the Japanese internment camps. 
And so they lost everything that they had in California, which wasn't much. They were pretty poor farmers in California at that time, but they did lose any equipment they had and the land that they lost because they only had 30 days in which to settle their estates there. And um, they were moved to a Canfaran racetrack, I think, somewhere south of San Francisco. They were stayed there literally, I guess, living in the horse stalls for about five months until they were finally taken to Topaz, Utah, the internment camp, relocation camp in Topaz, Utah. And that's uh, where my dad and his family ended up. But it's really interesting because growing up, when I was growing up here in Brighton, Colorado, my dad never, ever talked about that. The only thing he ever mentioned to me, he said, quote unquote, that's the blessing that brought him to Colorado. And, you know, for him wow. to have that kind of attitude, I know exactly. It was like, wow, you know, because so many people who could have gone through that kind of experience, you know, would could probably be filled with a lot of hatred and, sure. you know, malice against uh um, Americans, but my dad didn't at all. He just, you know, he was always looking for ways to move forward. I found out, I learned in the book that the only area where he had a little bit of anger was actually toward the press for the newspapers, because he just felt like a lot of those writers uh, were, you know, really stirring the pot and, and really building up the feelings of hatred. And I thought that's so interesting, especially during our times now where right. with social media. Right. We're finding the same thing, yeah. that it's the very same thing through social media, that all that all that information going out there, sometimes how it can stir things up. <laughs> I love that you said you found out about it in the book. <laughs> yeah. You had to read about your amazing? family history to find out about it. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Open Field Radio. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, right? Gowan USA has a broad selection of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides to deliver customized solutions for your crops. Gowan provides the right programs to fit your unique needs, standing behind our products with expert service and support. And Gowan USA is family-owned and operated right here in the United States of America for over 55 years. That's a long time. Check it out for yourself at gowanco.com. And now you know. So you know when you're digging around online and you find those lists of if you like this, then that? Well, this one's pretty cool. Maybe it's one of those they know you buy the company you keep kind of things. But I found a list that said if you like open field radio, then you might like these podcasts. Check it out. How about Smartless with Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett? Not bad. How about the Ben Shapiro show from the Daily Wire? How about Dateline NBC? How about the Daily Show from the New York Times? That's only the biggest podcast in the world. NPR News and Conan O'Brien's podcast. You know what? You know them by the company they keep. That's pretty good company. That's why you listen to Open Field Radio. Quick shout out to some areas we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Big hello to Santa Barbara, California, Fort Smith, Arkansas, East Greenwich, Rhode Island, Plymouth, Massachusetts, Tampa, Florida, Athens, Greece, and Sao Paulo, Brazil. Thanks for listening. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. Well, how, how long was your family interned? So my dad was able to get an early release and so he because he had an uncle here in Colorado. And that's another great story is the governor of Colorado at that time was Ralph Carr. And again, there's another great book called The Principled Politician by Adam Schrager that documents the real bravery of Governor Carr at that time. He was on the political fast track. Some thought that he even had the possibility of running for president of the United States. But he took the hugely unpopular position of saying, hey, these are American citizens and they have the right to live wherever they want to. And that just literally killed his political career. But um, my dad would remember reading speeches that he had made 
um, and said, you know what, I, I don't have anything to go back to in California, so I'm going to come to Colorado. And he worked for, a, he gives a lot of credit to the Schluter family, family here in Brighton, that he worked for them. They had a dairy farm and they needed some help. He worked for them. They allowed him to sleep in the barn, the dairy barn. And I guess eventually just saw what a hard worker he is. And they actually bought a piece of ground for his family and asked them to pay them back. And that's how he got his start in Colorado. It, it, so it, it's, wow. it's, I know, pretty amazing story that, you know, the generosity of people at, when you show them that you, you know, the drive that you have, how they, and you earn their respect, respect, what can happen. And with that piece of land, the journey began. Yeah. My, I think my, again, my dad's wonderful wisdom of always just reinvesting in land, water, and technology. I think he knew that his passion was farming. And those were the three things that he's, he's, he knew that would carry him forward. I, I still remember, I think I was probably, I, I must've been 10 or 12 or something. And you know, he was, he worked with FMC, the FMC company to build a fresh market sweet corn harvester because fresh market sweet corn, of course, was all picked by hand. It's so tender. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't use the normal combine type machines to harvest it. So he worked with FMC to help him um, develop that machine. And, and when it, he first, when he bought his first new one, he, I remember him brought, driving it up to the house and <laughs> asking my mom to come outside. Sure he did. He, he, yeah, he sheepishly said to her, he says, well, sweetie, here's your new house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's perfect. And so true, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So a lot of credit has to go to my mom, you know, that sure. boy, oh, for I'm everything. Sure I mean, that. she's still involved with the operation and, you know, just side by side through all of this and reinvesting. And my dad's 95 and still involved in the operation, but I think it was uh, about 15 years ago, the last piece of land we he bought, he took me there because he told me, he said, Robert, he said, I probably won't live to pay this off. So I just want you to know what you're in, what you're in for. <laughs> it's like, okay. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, so that means that means the, the family farm has been around, what, 70 plus years? Yeah, exactly. What are you farming? We're just downstream of the city of Denver, just in the front range of Colorado here. Uh, and we've, we farm about 2,500 acres where acreage is actually down because of the really the urban growth that's going on in this area now. And so farms that we used to rent are not available. They've been developed. And, and so our, our areas of production are decreasing. And then plus just our cropping system is decreased too, because just like so many farmers across the country, um, we just had huge issues of trying to find qualified labor. Seasonal workforce for us is so critical. So for example, when we were growing sweet corn, we would have to hire 300 people for about six weeks. And that was just getting more and more and more difficult. And the, really the challenge that we weren't able to overcome eventually was that um, we just couldn't find the housing for them. So, you know, to find housing for six weeks for 300 people just in this area was just impossible. That's a logistical challenge all by itself. Yeah. You know, people that are living here 12 months out of the year are having a challenge finding housing. So it sure. didn't make sense for me to try to build the seasonal housing facility. Uh, and it, just the cost of that, just that was a turning point. That's where we said, no, nah, we, we really can't afford to, to grow sweet corn in our area anymore. So we got out of sweet corn and most of the labor intensive crops because we used to grow a lot of mixed vegetables, cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, 
just because of all the seasonal labor requirements we got out of those. And so that's where now vegetable wise, just growing onions and then um, some pinto beans, winter wheat uh, and grain and silage corn are the crops that we grow now. Okay. So a little bit different than all of our intensive vegetable production that we're used to. And you guys, if I understand it right, you grow onions, but you're also a distributor for onions. Is that true? Well, yeah. So we market all, all our own onions. We don't buy any onions and, and repackage them. So it's just the onions that we grow. It makes it a nice crop because we can, in the fall, we'll harvest them all, bring them into storage. And then during the winter months, we can sort those onions out and market those throughout the winter. And usually we're done marketing those onions just about February. And that's about time ready for us to go back out in the fields here in Colorado when the ground thaws out and the snow's gone, get out to the fields, start to work that ground for the next year's crop. So it works Started out. Started all over again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the great thing about farming, as you know. It's like, <laughs> yes, you, you get to see what you accomplished. And then the next year you get to try to correct all the mistakes you made from the year before. That's a great perspective yeah. right there. You're right. You know, that even even on a great year, right? You're going to go, yep. I'm going to I'm going to one-up myself this year. Watch this. Yep. You know, I've done a lot of interviews, talked to a lot of cool people and a lot of really nice people. And for my money, Robert checks both boxes in a great big way. His honesty, transparency about his role in the industry, along with his family history, I don't think it gets any more real than this. This interview was not only fun to do, but it was refreshing to hear his optimism and his passion for the family farm. I don't think it gets any more American than that. At what point, maybe I just need to read the book. At what point in your family history did you come into the farm at a full-time level? So, like I said, growing up on the farm and working on the farm all the way up through high school, going off to college, then working for Amgen, then working for Steamboat Springs. And I think the best decision I made there was I only stayed up there one winter season. I saw too many people that were like me that, you know, we're searching for something in their lives and then they got stuck there. And I didn't want that to happen to me. I mean, I saw really actually brilliant people that just were unhappy up there anymore. And I, gosh, I didn't want that to happen to me. And so I think my parents were really worried then because then I moved to um, California and became a bartender. <laughs> sure. Why were they worried? I can't imagine yeah. why they were worried. Well, I forgot to mention that when I was going to uh, as an undergrad, my minor was in child psychology. So that's where I thought that would fit in perfect with bartending. <laughs> sure, you know? sure. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, heavens. But then um, when I bartended, the people, the owners there, I started then to work with them to open up restaurants in the California area. So I actually helped them open up three different restaurants in the greater Los Angeles area. But that's right back when the drive-by shootings were going on, you know. And uh, it, it, I remember it. it. Yep. Commuting could take anywhere. I, I, if there was no traffic, it would take me 20 minutes to get to the office. But usually I left two hours in advance because normally that's how long it took, you know. And it was yep. just, it was crazy times. And I think I came to the realization that when I left for college, my goal was to find the cure for cancer. And I thought about this and I thought, you know what? Maybe growing the fresh fruits and vegetables on the farm was the answer all the way along. And so I came back to the farm. Um, it was really welcome to find my parents back to the farm. And, and something I didn't realize back then, too, was that all of our employees, which are longtime employees, were really excited to have me back, too, because, you know, I, I kind of failed to look at it from their perspective. 
they didn't know what was going to happen to the farm after my parents. And so to see me come back in kind of gave them some certainty of the longevity of our farmer operation. And I think looking back too, one of the reasons why I wasn't ready to stay on the farm at the high school was I think I had the the sense too of what a huge responsibility that was. Growing up with these people, you know, many of them, like I said, third generation to have worked with our family, they were like my brothers and sisters. And that stress of thinking that decisions I was going to be faced with may affect their family's livelihood. I think at that time, I just wasn't ready for that. You know, that was too big a responsibility in that point in my life. And so I had to make that long trip and then come back and say, you know what, and make the realization too, that I wasn't making these decisions on my own. It was us as a group, uh, you know, together on the farm making these decisions, I think is, is, is what worked out so well. Well, I love the fact that there are generations of folks that have worked for you. And we hear this from lots of farms. And they are. They're like family. I mean, yeah. it's all for one and one for all in so many ways. Yeah, the family, the house here at headquarters, of course, I said I grew up in it. And then uh, our production manager, um, his father actually worked for my dad before that. But then he became our production manager, worked for my our family for 60 years. And then he's just recently retired. Uh, his son lived in that house for a while. And now we have another, our plant manager lives in that house. So it's like this house has this whole history of all the, the families in Cicada Farms that have lived there. Oh, that's great. That's a great story all by itself. Yeah. What's it like in a farm family? What's it like to work with your father? Yeah, it's, um, what, what incredible experience. I think, like I said, I wasn't ready for graduating high school because I thought, I just saw, I think I was intimidated by all that he had accomplished, you know, that there was pretty big shoes to fill, just knowing a little bit of a, that I knew about, you know, going from literally nothing to where it was at that time. But then it's amazing. I, you know, I, I'm kind of a techno geek. I love technology. So I, I'll try to use it wherever I can. And if you look at my dad's desk, uh, he has a TV on his desk, but that's it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or a calculator, I'm sorry. So he has a calculator and a TV. <laughs> a calculator. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you exactly. go. I love that. A remote control, a calculator, and a TV. <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. Is it, is, it, is it hard to be the son under the dad, you know, working? And was that a thing? Or was it just everybody get on board and here we go? Yeah, it was it was really everybody get on board and here we go. Uh, once I came back, I think it was really helpful that I went off and was away from the farm and that it was my decision to come back. I think that was a critical, critical part of that, that it was, you know, it was, uh, I want, I wanted to be here now, not necessarily that they wanted me to be here. And I, I so I was really open. And the, just, I think too, the way that my father allowed me to transition and things, you know, really stressing to me the importance of quality out in the field. And that's where I started was really, even from growing up, working out in the field and learning that part of it then. And then, of course, the business, the office part of it is probably one of the more challenging aspects, actually, I think for a lot of us. We love being outside and, you know, working in the fields and the tractors and pulling weeds. But the really crucial part of it is the office office part and and managing the business side of it. Is there pressure as a son in farming that the expectation is you will continue this? That's a great question. Um, And we've actually, as a family, we've been having these discussions now because I I don't have any children. And so far, none of my nieces or nephews have any interest in the farm. So there's a lot of discussions about what to to do and how to go on from now. 
And I've really wanted to respect my father's desires as we move forward in this, because I mean, I, he and my mom have worked so hard to build this up that, you know, I, I don't want them to feel like I'm tearing it all down or something. And so we're, we're looking at different ways and different ways of going on. I, and I real in reality too, I think if I would um, have had children or somebody along uh, family wise, that would be interested, or even if we're looking, and I include this family, not just uh, you know, blood relatives, but like we mentioned, uh, our third generation employees working with us are, are considered part of this plan as well. But I think there's some exciting times ahead for agriculture. I know there's a lot of challenges, as we mentioned, you know, the, being able to source qualified labor and increasing regulatory burdens. But I think at the same sense, there's such an exciting time, especially where we're located. As I mentioned, we're just downstream of the Denver metro area. And, you know, we have potentially 5 million customers right here. We have to figure out how to make that connection. And I think that's where we we talked a little bit about how important communication is, because I think part of the struggle right now is that I have potentially 5 million customers here. That also means I have 499,999 people really wanting to tell me how I should be farming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't that the truth, too? You bet. <laughs> you know, so I need to do a great job of explaining what I'm doing and why I'm doing that, you know, because I think that all, a lot of that comes from the fact is that they don't understand the reasons behind that. And so I think it's really important for all of us to be able to communicate what we're doing, to be very transparent about what we're doing, to be willing to answer questions and talk about that. Because so so few of us anymore that there is going to be a lot more interest in controlling what we're doing, especially when we're talking about water shortages and droughts. Of course, chemicals are in there. Um, yep. Everything that we're talking about, whether it's GMOs, varieties, everything. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. We keep our boots muddy and our ears tuned to the thorny challenges of agriculture. That just sounds cool, doesn't it? Because it's the truth. The Gowan Group is a global, family-owned agriculture solution business headquartered in Yuma, Arizona. Gowan specializes in developing, marketing, and processing agricultural inputs such as crop protection products, seeds, and fertilizers. Gowan has grown markets in the majority of the agricultural regions globally. A deep respect for science and a passion for agriculture drives Gowan Company to help growers solve their critical pest and plant health issues. Let's say it together. Gowan Company. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. This is Michael Ruhlman, author of Grocery, The Buying and Selling of Food in America. Price check on Honey Nut Wonder Rose. Season 1, Episode 4, and you're listening to Open Field Radio. Open Field Radio. Like, share, subscribe. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, Brighton, Colorado's own Robert Cicada. I read a quote from you, and I'll paraphrase this, but basically you you believe strongly that growers need to be able to tell their story and to have that voice and to be able to speak about what they do to those that don't understand what they do. Yeah, that's so, so important. And it's, it's not an easy task for most farmers um, because we chose farming. A lot of us chose farming because we like to work alone. We, you know, we like the outdoors. Sure, sure. We like to be there. Uh, and we're not used to being out there telling our story. You know, many of us aren't great on social media. Um, it's, it's, we don't want to do radio interviews. We, we, we <laughs> run away from, from TV newscasters, you know, because we're so afraid of what's going to happen. But I think it's more, more important that we do that because if we're not telling our story, then they're going to make up something that may not be true. 
And so it's important for, for them to hear it directly from us. So check this out. Robert just said it would be best to hear the farmers' stories directly from the farmers. However, the farmers aren't real hip to telling the story. Why is that? He said the cameras do this and that. Well, then, heck, just get on social media. I'll hash out your story there and everyone can hear it or read it or whatever's going on, right? Not so fast. Contrary to what you might think cruising through Instagram, farmers and social media... Mm, it's an interesting pairing. Check it out. We sell our product under our family name. And so you get direct backlash <laughs> to your family when it's associated with them. You know, most companies have a trade name of some sort. And yet most farmers, it's our name on that, on that carton. You know, it's still Cicada Farms. And so when you have a social media presence, oh my gosh, there for a while, you know, when I was trying to be vocal about uh, reforming immigration laws, it was just horrendous, some of the backlash that you were getting, you know, and and it's just, oh, it's so nasty sometimes. So, I, again, I think that's where it's great to have shows like you that can help us get the message out there. Yeah, it's what we're here for, and it's really what we do. And um, utilize yeah. us as much as possible. That's what this is all about. So, well, there seems to be a... Historically speaking, sometimes strenuous relationship between agriculture and the farmer and politics with the best of intentions sometimes, but without the right information, then we have a mess on our hands. Yeah, you have to be so careful of the unintended consequences. So many laws are passed with the best of intention, and yet the implementation of those often can create huge barriers to the actual goal of, of the law. I really like to work with FDA on our new Food Safety um, Modernization Act rules, you know, really stressing with them the importance of this diversity of production around the country. And I've, I've been so impressed with so far their approach of let's educate before we regulate uh, again. And then there's not set standard practices, but really looking at the risk, identifying this unique risks in each operation and, you know, trying to reduce those risks in each operation rather than saying, okay, everything has to be stainless steel because that may not fit in everybody's operation. So education plays such an important role as we move forward in any of these areas. As you're farming and looking ahead and doing what you do, how much do you learn and gain from other farmers? So much, so, so much. That, that was one of them. It was only, I think that was the only condition I actually put on. When I came back to the farm, I said, the one thing that I would love to be able to do is to be able to travel and visit with other farmers. You know, I saw how hard my parents worked and it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. And they had built it up to the point that, you know, I could take a weekend off and go someplace. And I really wanted to take advantage of that and say, but I didn't want it. I didn't want to go off to, you know, the Caribbean or something. I wanted to go visit other farmers and see what they were doing. That was my interest. And um, that is, again, I think because I don't have a family, I don't have any kids. I've really had the opportunity to dedicate myself to different associations. In Colorado, I actually helped start the Colorado Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association. You know, I was really involved in United Fresh for a while, really involved in Western Growers. And it really introduced me to a lot of great individuals, learning so much from them. And then um, like, and that's where I got the idea that every family should write a book about them because when you visit with these people, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just incredible the stories that, that we have in agriculture. If you could narrow it down to one thing, what's your favorite thing about being a farmer? Oh, it's the lifestyle. I mean, I have the best office in the world. It's so fun doing, you know, we've all gone through so much through COVID. The one great thing in COVID has been these virtual meetings. 
and I have the best virtual background of anybody, you know, <laughs> and many times I'll, I'll join a virtual meeting out in the field. I'm fortunate enough. I've got good 4G connectivity in most of our, our, our land out here mm-hmm. and I'll connect with my phone, you know, so during the meeting people, I can show actually people what I'm doing, whether that's cultivating onions or lifting onions, you know, or whatever. And, um, I'm, I, I always tell people, look, this is my office. I am so thankful. I have the, the best office in the world and the, the greatest commute compared to everybody else. <laughs> You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved, no duplication or redistribution without permission.